Hey there, and welcome to the podcast of Real Life Spokane. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. We hope this podcast encourages you and points you closer to Jesus. Let's jump in. This is a conversation that I am excited to have because it's really central and core to who we are as a people. And uh, I think God God is going to work through this time. I don't know about you, but my shoulders are still sore from the intensity of that Gonzaga basketball game last night. Anybody else? Like, I was stressed. But by the grace of God, sweet 16, all right? We can... Can we celebrate Gonzaga in church? Is that okay? Like, <laughs> I am excited. If you're not excited, that's fine. You're like, I hate basketball. Sorry. Okay. I, it was fun to watch. If, if you're not into that thing, I'm sorry. But, uh, man, when you think about, like, like, just the intensity of those kinds of moments, I don't know. For me, it's like, oh, man, can these guys pull this off? Is this, is this, like, when things are intense, like, the pressure's on. There's, like, a sense of desperation to every one of those shots, to every one of those possessions, to every one of those moments. And, and for me, it's, it's, like, really sobering to, like, look at my intensity level over a basketball game. <laughs> and really be reminded of like, oh, is, is that the way my heart is? Is that, is that what's really like, how desperate am I in this life? And, and for me, it's really good to just kind of take a step back. And I'm like, wow. I was thinking about, we were praying as a staff this week for um, the war and everything that's happening in Ukraine right now. Man, it's hard to know how to pray sometimes. And I found myself praying for the church in Ukraine this week because I don't know what it's like. I know for us during the pandemic to have to like mass and shut down and all these conversations, the governor says you can't sing in church, you know, all these things that are flying at us. We're trying to figure out how do we navigate all of this. And most of it, I would probably do it totally different than we did it through that whole time. And I'm sure the church in Ukraine right now is having a whole nother crazy thing to try to navigate and what is it like and are they gathering and can they is it safe not safe where are they and Jesus would you be with your people in this time and I imagine the prayers of the church in Ukraine sounding a little different than my prayers over here and I just was like that that desperation you know like like the prayers of their heart is probably a little bit different than the prayers of our hearts. Are we worried about the economy? Yes. Do we struggle with gas prices? Yeah. Are we frustrated about grocery costs? Yeah. All, yeah. But, 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 but I just wonder what the difference would be like. And the thing about us is, is interesting as people, as just humans, we struggle with this. When things are hard, we are like intense and like desperate and like engaged. And then when things are easy and kind of at ease, we're disconnected discouraged, disenchanted with life, with people. Maybe we're just a little bit kind of frustrated about stuff. And we find ourselves just kind of like at, at a place that, that we don't really like ourselves to be. See, we've been looking at history through this series to try to understand how has Jesus' church endured through ups and downs in life and history. We're here a couple thousand years into this adventure called church as an absolute miracle that Jesus' people have endured the way that they have endured. 
What is it about Jesus' people that have allowed them to endure through the ups and downs of history? Like this last two years, people will look back at this slice of history and go, wow, that was hard. We could look back even further and go, wow, there has been lots of craziness all throughout human history. And Jesus' church has continued to endure and grow and, and lives have continued to be changed through all of that. Why is that? What is that? How has that happened? There's a time in history that I want to look at today in the fourth century where, where comfort and ease for the church were the danger. Not the pressure of persecution, but more the pressure of comfort and everybody's expectations and, and everybody kind of feeling and looking the same and really powerless in a lot of ways. See, Christianity had risen in popularity massively through the third century. Uh, all of Rome was, was coming to know Jesus, and people are being changed all over the place. And pretty soon, the emperor of Rome, Constantine, is like, well, we got to make Christianity the official religion because everybody's a Christian. And so instead of killing Christians, let's just everybody's a Christian. It's a party up here. Christians, it's good. Everybody's good. And what happened, though, was that comfort and the ease of everybody's a Christian because you're a Roman started to wash out the potency, the power, the, the life change of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. The desperation went away. And, and for many of us, this is a, a place that, that we wouldn't normally think of as a dangerous place. Well, things are working, Richie. I'm blessed. Right? We, we just like, oh, life is good. Things are fine. But I think that there's a sense of responsibility to the good times of history that we need to pay attention to as well. In, re in response to this kind of watering down and diluting of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, these extremists, these crazy people rose up that, that actually said, you know what, I'm not going to just live for the culture and live for comfort and live for ease. I am going to pursue Jesus with all my heart. In fact, I'm going to go away from these cities and these places where everybody's doing the same thing. I'm going to go out to the desert, to the wild places where they believe like the demons roamed freely. We're going to go do battle with those demons. I'm done with this like milk toast spirituality that doesn't have any power to it. I want to see God work through me powerfully. And so here we go. And these guys were known as the desert fathers. James talked about one last week named Antony. And, and his, the, the writings about Antony are crazy when you read the kinds of things he did and what God did through that guy. But, but there was this kind of like new like thing happening out in the desert, but the city was still left unchanged until this guy named Pacomius came along. Pacomius had a supernatural experience. He was one of the desert fathers. He had lived in virtual isolation for seven years. He was in the desert to devote himself to God completely, wholeheartedly. Enough of this broken world tainting my life. I am going after Jesus with everything I've got until an angel showed up to him in a vision. And the angel said to him, Pacomius, uh, God is calling you to give your life to humankind. He said, no, no, no. God called me to give my life to God. The angel came back and said the, said the message again. And as Pacomius was originally resisting giving his life to, to serve and love people because he thought the highest calling I could have would be absolute and pure devotion to God, his heart began to soften as this vision repeated itself. So finally, Pacomius relented and said, you know what? God is calling me to help other people experience what I'm experiencing in my devotion to God. And see, this is a powerful transition in history where people 
stop living for themselves and start recognizing I have a responsibility to help other people experience what I'm experiencing. And so Pacomia started to develop these communities, which are actually a lot like our connect groups around here. And he began to invite other people into this way of life. He actually wrote out Pacomius's rule, rule, R-U-L-E, where it's like his way of living like Jesus. And so he's trying to help these other people be discipled and grow as followers of Jesus and not just kind of give in to the rest of culture and the way life was, and everybody called themselves a Christian. He was actually trying to develop them as these devout followers of Jesus. So much success happened with these communities and this way of living that that people like bishops and pastors and leaders in the big city started noticing. They're like, hey, we want Pacomius's communities. We want Pacomius's rule here in, in our church because these followers of Jesus don't look like Jesus. They look like the rest of the world. We've got to figure out a way to help them grow spiritually in the midst of the complexity and the comfort and the ease that has came into the church and has kind of invaded the definition of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so this point of history was really supernatural where the desert fathers actually began to now impact the church and impact like the normal people, not the the people living out in the wilderness eating bugs or whatever they were doing, where they actually started to develop a way to help disciples make disciples. You see, we believe this fundamentally is the foundation of Jesus' church. Jesus started with 12 guys. He invited them into a life-changing, mission-changing, purpose-changing experience to become a disciple of Jesus. If you're taking notes today, Matthew 4.19 is so important to us as a church just to help us go, what, what did Jesus originally say and, and mean with those first 12 disciples? He says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's Matthew 4.19. It's a simple invitation. And in that invitation, we believe is the definition of what Jesus intended for those disciples. A disciple of Jesus is following Jesus. He says, follow me. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means that we obey Jesus, that we are trusting his leadership in our life, that we are submitted to his authority, that we are not trying to live and make up our own life and our own purpose and our own desires, but we are submitted to Jesus as Lord, leader of our lives. He says, come follow me, and I'm going to make you into a fisher of men. I'm going to change you, make your motives different, your desires different, the way you think about people different. I'm going to show you how to be the way I am in a love, in a sacrificial place for this world. And so a disciple of Jesus, following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and finally committed to the mission of Jesus. He says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. These guys were professionally fishing for fish. They made money at it. This was their livelihood. And Jesus like, I'm going to change your purpose for living. I am going to give you a new mission. Not just make money and seek to survive this life. I'm going to give you a purpose for all of eternity to fish for men, to help people experience who I am and what I am doing and can do in their life. So this original invitation was given to those 12 guys. That same invitation, they all said yes to. They left their nets they said, God, I'm, if this is what you're calling me to, I'm in. I'm coming. You're going to have to change me. I'm going to follow you. I'm on mission with you. you got to show me how to do this. And so he spent the next three years investing in these guys, 
helping them to understand what this meant. He taught them how to pray. He taught them how to, how to, how to uh, cast out demons. He taught them how to uh, help people experience healing. He, he taught them how, how to uh, love people, forgive people. He, he taught them so many pieces of what it meant to follow his way. And then in Matthew 28, Jesus says, all right, these last three years, Everything I've been doing with you, now I want you to go do with others. Matthew 28, 18, 19, 20. If you're taking notes, you've got to get this passage. Jesus came to him and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You should hear that phrase. This is echoing Matthew 4. In Matthew 4, he says, Come follow me. Now here he's reiterating the, the position, all authority. In heaven and on earth has been given to me. See, a follower, a disciple of Jesus understands that the only power that is going to come in this life is because of Jesus. And now here he's reiterating, going, hey, authority on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is the authority that I am going to send you in. Not your own authority. It's not your authority that gives you purpose, gives you significance, gives you hope. It is the authority of Jesus that we come under. And it's in that place that we are changed and that we learn this mission that he's calling us to. And so he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Therefore, go. That, that language right there, if we could get into the original Greek and all of that, you would understand it to mean as you go. As you go to work this week. As you go, as you go to school this week. As you, as you get to lunch this afternoon. As you, as you are going about parenting. As you are going about this ordinary, normal life that you've been given. As you go, make disciples. See, this is the transition that, that changed the strength and the trajectory of the church in the fourth century. If somebody had to make a decision to get their hearts back aligned with Jesus' original invitation, his original design, I'm going to make a disciple out of you, but then I'm going to call you to go make disciples. This mission has never been just for us. It's always been about us being changed so that we can help other people experience what Jesus has been doing in our lives. And so this calling comes, go make disciples. Go do what, what I've done with you. I want you to do with other people. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, just like we practice here, watching people's lives start in this transformation journey of saying yes to Jesus. And then I want you to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Remember I told you how to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Remember that prayer? I want you to teach them to obey that. I want you to teach them how to forgive. I want you to teach them how to love. I want you to teach them how to, how to give sacrificially. I want you to teach them my way of life to obey everything that I have commanded you. And I love this promise in verse 20. And I will be with you always to the very end of the age. I will be with you as you go, as you're at work, as you're in those normal places, as you are having those really hard conversations with your kids, as you're annoyed by that coworker that continues to gossip behind your back, I will be with you always into the very end of the age. A lot of times we take this kind of sacred conversation and we set it up as this very distant and disconnected thing. Oh yeah, when my life gets a little bit more put together, when I quit with this addiction, when I start treating my spouse a little bit better, when my kids are out of the house, when I get over this thing that I'm struggling with, then I 
will get about those spiritual things. Life's a little too ordinary and cluttered right now, Richie, for all that mumbo-jumbo about discipleship. But what I love is that this, this call has always been central to Jesus' church, that this has always made Jesus' church strong, is that disciples of Jesus have made a decision to learn to make disciples, that we have, we have overcome a life built around ease and comfort and what's in it for me and allowing consumerism to just dictate our every decision and every priority of our life. And we have made decisions intentionally to go, you know what? God is calling me to something significant and more and beyond myself that a disciple of Jesus is called to make disciples. That is the commission he gave his church. That is why his church exists, is to make disciples of Jesus. That's what we're doing here, is inspiring us to take our next steps, to, to call people to a place of, of obedience and connection with Jesus and other people to grow as these disciples who are learning to make disciples. And, and, and as a team, to equip us, not to just kind of send us off and say good luck, but to actually give us a context and a way to walk out this calling on every single one of our lives. So I want to just kind of just take a breath for a second there because I think a lot of you might go, yeah, 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 yeah. Every disciple is called to make disciples. But you don't know me. And I don't know if you struggle like this, but I got a past and I got, I got hurt and I got, I got, I tried that once. I, 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 uh, I got an addiction I'm still struggling with. I've got, I've got bitterness because of what was done to me. I've got pain from the abuse that I endured. Richie, I, you don't know me. Maybe I don't know anything about the Bible. How could I teach somebody how to pray? I don't even like to pray. I don't want to pray. You're asking me to get beyond myself, and I like myself. I don't want to be selfless because I like being selfish. I, I want to live for my own self. And this conversation is really important because I had you open up to Acts chapter 4 because these people that God called, that he originally said, I want you to be my disciples. Then he said, now I want you to go make disciples. They're people that are just like you and me. Look at Acts 4.13. This is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible because I feel like it, it gives context to this mystical thing called make disciples. It gives like a reality of like, oh, this is not just some super spiritual pastor job, but that this is actually ordinary everyday life that somebody like me who knows nothing about the Bible, who doesn't understand how to follow Jesus fully, I can actually do do this, walk this out. In Acts chapter 4, Jesus had just sent his disciples out. He had gone to heaven because at this point, he's already died on the cross, been buried in the grave, resurrected from the dead. He came back and appeared to his disciples, and now he's like, guys, I'm going to heaven. You need to go to Jerusalem. My spirit's going to come, and when he comes, then I want you to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, and, and they wait in Jerusalem. The spirit comes. Peter preaches this message. I'm in Acts 2 right now, and then, and then 3,000 people are added to the church that day, and this amazing like breaking out of Jesus' church just happens, and people are being baptized all over the place, and, and, and Finally, we get to Acts chapter 4, where now Peter and John, a couple of these original disciples, they're going to the temple. 
They're going to worship because that's where Jews go to worship. And, and, and they see a beggar out at the gate and he's asking them for money because his legs are crippled. And he's like, hey, guys, can you help a brother out? And they're like, we don't actually have any money, but what we do have, we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. The man stands on his feet. His legs are healed, and he begins rejoicing, jumping around. People are noticing. That was the guy begging at the gates without function of his legs. What just happened? People are asking questions. Peter and John begin to speak up. This Jesus, he, he's the one that saved us. He's the one that got crucified. He's the one that the, the leaders killed. Now he's here in his power, is healing this man, and we are here to proclaim salvation for all of you, the religious leaders. Leaders see the commotion. They're like, hey, we got to shut these guys up. We just killed Jesus. We can't have more people talking about Jesus. And so, so, so they bring Peter and John in, and they start questioning, interrogating them. And I love this. Acts 4.13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, listen to that word. Maybe you want to just circle that if you've got a Bible. Courage. They didn't see the perfection of Peter and John. They didn't see the Bible, Bible degree of Peter and John. They, they didn't see like their extensive ministry resume. Oh, I led worship. I was a Sunday school teacher. They didn't see any of that stuff. They saw the courage of Peter and John. And they realized that these were unschooled and ordinary men. And they were astonished by this. Why were they astonished? Because God has always been in the business, Paul writes about it in the letter to the Corinthians, of taking the, the foolish things of this world and using them to shame the wise. Taking the, the, the weak things of this world and using them to shame the strong. Why? Because in the world standards, you gotta have it all together. You gotta know everything. If you're gonna lead, if you're gonna teach, you gotta be perfect. You gotta have the degree. You gotta have the resume. You gotta have life squared away. And God is so good that he loves to take the system of the world, flip it upside down and say, oh yeah, I'll use the unschooled ones, the ordinary ones, the normal ones, the ones that don't have it all together. And I will use them to show you how good my power is in your life. Anybody else excited about this in the room today? Like, this is good news. I want you to think about you. You feel so ordinary. You feel so normal that you don't have anything to offer. And Jesus speaks right into that. Remember, he said, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I see you when you're changing diapers of your kids and you feel so ordinary as you're praying, as you're, as you're, Ask breaking up another fight. As a, as a mom, you're like, I am so done breaking up this fight between these same kids over. And those ordinary moments, Jesus just speaks over and goes, those are the moments where I'm there. When you feel so unworthy, unschooled, uncool un un or unawesome. You think about you at school and, and, and you're not going the way the rest of everybody is going and you feel awkward. You stick out because you're making decisions based on Jesus' leadership, not based on the world's leadership. And, and, and people are noticing, but they're not saying anything. Those are the little tiny moments where it feels so insignificant that, that actually you are making an impact in people's lives. Those unschooled, ordinary people, God is using in miraculous 
ridiculous ways. And my hope and my desire out of this conversation is that all the ordinary people would finally rise up and recognize that God has called you, that God has going to empower you, that he has everything that you need to be used by him to walk according to his purposes, that you don't got to shrink back in fear, but that you can walk in courage. You can walk with this, this courageous bent like God has called me. I don't know what I'm doing, but God has called me. I don't know how to help. I don't know how to love. I don't know how to serve, but God has called me. And man, that is what changes a city, a school, a family, a neighborhood, a marriage. That is what changes things as an ordinary person saying, I'm not called to just a life of ease and comfort and what's in it for me. But I, but I look at my leader, my teacher, my master who said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. I am, as a disciple of that leader, I am going to serve. I am going to love. I am going to pray. I am going to go into the ordinary, unseen moments that nobody will ever notice with courage and with passion and with a heart to be used by God. And that we would come up and show up in those ordinary moments trusting that God is going to do something supernatural. These guys were astonished. And listen, they were astonished and they took note. And this is still Acts 4.13. Preaching one verse for like 20 minutes here. Okay, you with me? They took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's the job description of a disciple maker, be with Jesus. Jesus is the one who calls you. He is the one that says, I'm going to make you into something that you're not right now. He is the one that says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It is only by the power, the authority, the grace, the goodness, the love of Jesus that any of this is possible. And so for you and I to recognize as a disciple of Jesus who longs to make disciples, we go, God, it is not me. It is not my power. It is not my ability. It is you working in me and through me. So I'm going to get as close to you, Jesus, as I possibly can. Every time you say step, I'll step. Every time you say love, I will love. Every time you say go, I will go. I will walk in obedience to your leadership in this life, and I will not make excuses. I will not serve myself. I will not go my own way and, and excuse myself in it, God. I will follow you. Man, this is where things start to change. It's when people say, I got to get beyond myself. I got to just stop living for myself. See, a disciple of Jesus is called to make disciples. And our hope as a church is that every one of us would say yes to Jesus. You are my king. You are my Lord. And then we would begin to learn how to make disciples. It's so easy to make excuses and go, I don't have what it takes. Here's what you do have. You have every step that you take in relationship with Jesus. You can help somebody come as far as you've come. You don't got to be an expert. You got to just have taken half a step. You, you're just seeking Jesus right now. You're asking questions. You're going, what is this guy all about? What does he really have to say about my life? Those questions other people around you are asking, and you could help them ask those same questions in a place like this where people can help you know the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. You've taken 10 steps with Jesus. Those 10 steps, you can bring somebody as far as you've come. You say, well, my family was so jacked up, Richie. I have nothing to offer my kids. By the grace of God, you are where you are, and you can bring them as far as you've come. You can bring those kids as far as you've come. It is not too late, too far gone. You're not unqualified. God is working in you. And for us as a church to understand this is so important. All right, that was my introduction, 20, 
30 minutes in, all right? Uh, let me just give you a couple of quick things. My team's going to get mad at me about this, but just stick with me, okay? There's two things I want you to get. If you're going, I want to make disciples, I don't know how to do this. It's really simple. One, know where the disciples are in the process of maturing. If you're going to help somebody grow spiritually, you've got to know where they are. Just the same way physically. If you want to parent an infant, you got to know where that infant is at and what they need. If you're going to parent a young adult, you gotta, you got to pray like crazy and, and know what that young adult needs to grow spiritually, to grow physically. You don't parent a young adult like a toddler anymore. Amen? I hope you don't. It doesn't work, okay? Uh, that, that is same as true spiritually. Know where somebody is spiritually and help them take their next steps. If you missed last week, you got to watch James' sermon. He did such a good job unpacking this. But if somebody's spiritually dead, you got to know that. you got to listen to their language, their heart, their priorities, their values. They don't love Jesus. They don't follow Jesus. Oh, okay. Why would I expect them to look like Jesus if they don't follow Jesus yet? Amen? And so, so knowing where somebody is dead, they, come, they become born again. They grow, begin to grow as an infant. We celebrate like crazy when new babies are born physically and spiritually. We love babies around here. Amen? And we love to help people grow. And so you know where they're at in this process. And then, number two is this, you help them take their next steps. That's what discipleship looks like. How do I make disciples? Know where they are and help them take their next steps. Help them grow from spiritually dead to infant. How do I do that? Talk to them about what it was like for you to learn how to pursue Jesus. There's four words I'll give you if you're going, how do I help somebody take their next steps? The first word is this, pursue. Pursue the way Jesus pursued us. Jesus left heaven. God left heaven to come make things right with mankind. Us lost in our sinfulness. God didn't wait for us to get our act together before he loved us. He pursued us while we were at our worst. The Bible says while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So for us to sit back at a distance and wait for sinners to get their act together before we start to love them is not Jesus' way. Amen? And so for us to, to understand, oh, man, there's somebody's lost, needs Jesus. I got to pursue them. And then what do they need? They need to learn how to pursue Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the source of life and change and hope and power. It is only by Jesus. So what do you got to do? Teach them how to pray. Teach them how to read scripture. You're like, I don't know barely how to read scripture. Teach them as much as you know to read about scripture. Show them the Bible app. Show them how to read a plan. Walk with them in this process of transformation. Pursue. The second one is connect. You got to connect with them in relationship and help this disciple understand what real relationship looks like, what forgiveness looks like, how to overlook offenses. You gotta help this person understand what, what family is. Many of us come from very broken families, and so understanding what it looks like to walk together through hardship and difficulty, man, this is what it's all about, connect. You connect with them, you help them connect with other people around here. This is why our groups are so important, is these are places where people can connect and start to process life and following Jesus. Then when somebody's saying, all right, I want to change the world, God's calling me out of my selfishness, I'm in, that's when you start to give. That's the third word. 
Third word, okay, is, is give. Pursue, connect, give. Give of my life, give of my finances. This, this is so important. This is what Jesus did. I didn't come to ser- be served, but to serve. I'm going to show you what it's like to give my life as a ransom. You become that model in their life of servanthood, of sacrifice. When you tithe and God shows up faithfully in your life, when you give 10% of your income and God provides in your life, and they're like, I don't know if I could trust God with my money. You're like, look at what God just did. You now are discipling that person by living Jesus' way. You are giving them a picture of what it's like to see God work faithfully in their life. You teach them how to show up at the Easter egg hunt and give away lots of candy. This is giving of our life. Coming on on Easter weekend and going, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give them my time, my energy to help people experience Jesus. And then finally, Jesus did what he would call all of us to do, is to multiply. He said, all right guys, now I want you to go make disciples. The same is true for each of us to go, ah, I've been a disciple of Jesus. I'm helping them grow as a disciple. Now it's time for them to learn how to make disciples. That process just continues to repeat itself. When you look back at the fourth century and Pacomius and all that great church history, what's the power of that? Is that disciples decided Jesus called me to make disciples. That somebody took a step beyond themselves and said, I, I got to be a part of something supernatural, not just self-consumed with what's in it for me. And do these people have the right kind of coffee at this church? And can this guy sing well enough up here for me to be happy at this church? No, 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 no. I recognize that I'm a part of a mission and that there are people in my city that don't know the love of Jesus Christ. And I, I've got to be equipped for this mission. I can't just sit here serving myself. I've got to be a part of something supernatural and sacrificial. And I want to be a part of something special that, that, that God is working powerfully in. See, this is, this is what's made Jesus' church strong. His disciples deciding, I've got to make disciples. This is not a call for just the super special people. This is the call for every single one of us. You could bring somebody as far as you've come. And our hope is this, that your workplace would change, that the city would change, your school, your marriage, your kids, every facet of our lives would be impacted by this conversation. This isn't just like a spiritual church conversation. This is us, Jesus said, as you go, as you go about those ordinary moments, that you would live with this mission inside you, this passion to be who Jesus has called you to be. By God's grace, lives will change. This is what's made Jesus' church strong. Disciples deciding, I have got to make disciples. Our prayer is that today, that you would make that decision. If you haven't said yes to Jesus yet, that's your first step, is to go from dead to born again to an infant. That you would say, God, I, I, I need forgiveness for my sin. I need freedom from these broken ways of living. I want to live for you, Jesus. I receive your forgiveness. I submit my heart to you. That point he gives you is Holy Spirit. You are born again, baptized, begin to walk in this process of maturity. Some of you have made that decision and you just sat there. Our hope is that this would stir you to go, I'm not helping make disciples. God, forgive me. I want to to make disciples. Our team is here to help you take that step. I want to pray for you. Would you stand your feet today with me?
God, you see every story here. You know every heart. You know every bit of our past, of our broken moments, God. You even saw us this morning. You saw us last night. You saw us in these moments that we're so ashamed of. And God, you loved us. You've forgiven us. And you're drawn us to yourself, God. Healing is in you, Jesus. Freedom is in you. Encouragement is in you. Hope is in you, Jesus. I pray that just hope would reign in your church today, God. Every heart here would just know, God, that you love them, that you are for them, that you see them, God. And Jesus, I pray you'd stir our hearts beyond ourselves. Stir our hearts, God, to selfless sacrifice. Stir our hearts, God, to to serve and to want to help people experience your love and grace, God. I pray you'd speak into every anxiety, every insecurity, every place that we think disqualifies us, God, and just speak your grace over that. Your grace is enough, Jesus. Your grace is enough. Church, just receive his grace. Yes, Lord. Jesus, make us a people who are called to make disciples. Lord, we just, we just say yes, we will go. As we go, God, we will make disciples. As we live and as we walk and as we work and as we enjoy life, God, we will make disciples. God, would you empower us? Would you equip us? Would you make us your church, Jesus? Make us a strong, enduring people who see generations raised up, God, here. We love you. We worship you. Jesus name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us on the Real Life Spokane podcast. We exist to reach this world for Jesus one person at a time, and you can help us do that by liking, sharing, or subscribing to this podcast. We love you so much, and we'll see you next time.